Good evening to one and all. I am Anshula Mehta, Assistant Director at Impact and Policy Research Institute, IMPRI, New Delhi. And I welcome you all to episode 17 of our talk series, The State of Gender Equality, Hashtag Gender Gaps, organized by the Gender Impact Studies Center at Impact and Policy Research Institute, along with GenDev Center for Research and Innovation and Delhi Post. In this series, we engage with experts on gender issues who share their insights on the challenges and way forward in achieving gender equality based on their work, experience, and research through an intersectional lens. Today, we have a talk on mainstreaming single women in Atmanirbhar Bharat by Ms. Srimoy Piyokundu, best-selling author and leading columnist on gender and sexuality. The chair for today's session is Professor Govind Kelkar, chairperson of the Gender Impact Studies Center at IMPRI, and also executive director of GenDev Center for Research and Innovation and an eminent professor. Uh, she might join us a little later as she is engaged in a medical appointment. Uh, so with that, it's my pleasure to introduce to you our speaker for today, uh, Ms. Srimoy Piyokundu. She is an acclaimed lifestyle journalist who has worked in leading publications like Times of India, India Today, Midday, and The Asian Age, and created editorial blueprints with breakthrough publications like Metro Now. After more than a decade in print media, she migrated to PR, where she helmed the media strategy, strategy division of Genesis Burson Masteller and headed the entertainment and lifestyle vertical of Hanmer MSL. Uh, she debuted with Faraway Music, her critically lauded first novel in 2013, followed by her best-selling feminist erotica, Sita's Curse, and her third work of fiction, You've Got the Wrong Girl. In 2017, she wrote her first non-fiction work, the widely appreciated and critically acclaimed Status Single, a narrative drawing from the lives of 3,000 urban Indian single women about the daily struggle of being single in a country where the highest validation for, for women remains marriage and motherhood. That was featured on Los Angeles Times and The Guardian London as a seminal work of female identity. Her latest work of fiction, Cut, takes a look at the stifling environment of government censorship and the struggle of a theater activist to retain his artistic freedom. This was also performed as a play at Delhi's prestigious National School of Drama and was directed by legendary theater director Abhilash Pillai. She is the founder of the community Status Single that aims to address 74.8 million single Indian women in this country and is all set to curate and host the SWIFT Summit, Single Women of India Forward Together in Bangalore in 2021. She also curates and hosts a fortnightly online chat show, Status Single with Sri, that completed 10 episodes on social issues. She has just completed season two with the Women Who Inspire Me series with iconic single women achievers in an endeavor to mainstream the single women population in India. Thank you very much, ma'am, for joining us today for this presentation. And without further ado, I invite you to share your insights and experience. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, I almost, uh, you know, feel, um, you know, it's like a full circle moment because uh, you know, just this morning, uh, one of the members of my community, as you all know, I'm a founder of a community for single women, status single. And I'm starting at the middle of my story, but just this morning, uh, one of the community members very proudly shared uh, the cover of the New Yorker magazine, uh, December 2020, which had such a powerful uh, illustration of a single woman uh, alone, like I am in my boudoir or her work, station or her work desk, 
surrounded by her cats, her, you know, her books, her manuscripts, probably. And just that, you know, that that picture, which which you know, which according to me was so, so empowering, you know, that we are not looking down on single women as the spinster, the cat lady, the abala, the, you know, the failure, you know, the divorcee, the widow, you know, all the various labels which box women and render us voiceless in this country. But we are presenting single women as, you know, symbolic of self-reliance, hope, courage, and resilience, which is what I think my life and the lives of 74.1 million single women in this country stand for. So I'm going to, you know, uh, just read out some figures before I, uh, you know, get deeper into my talk. So the details of the population by marital status from the census 2011 were made available to the public in July 2015. And by all accounts, India right now boasts of the largest number of single women in its history. According to census data, there was a 39% increase in the number of single women, widows, never married, divorced, abandoned, from 51.2 million in 2001 to 71.4 million in 2011. The never married category in the census takes into account all women who are aged above the age of 18 and who are not married. So more realistic estimates actually puts the number of single women in India at way over 50 million. You know, along with this, I'm going to cite some um, important statistics. Single women, as I said, today constitute 8.6% of the female population in India. A country made up only of Indian single women would be the 24th most populous nation in the world. This would be ahead of South Africa, Saudi Arabia, Canada, Australia, and many, many more countries. Yet, singlehood in this country is still seen as a matter of shame, personal stigma, marginalization, and failure. And apart from, of course, harassment at work, being you know, cheated out of ancestral property by married siblings and the emotional, the physical and the financial burden and thrust of caregiving put onto the shoulders of single women. Um, the numbers, you know, I'm just coming back to the figures before I speak further. The numbers of widowed, separated and divorced men, you know, if we were to make a comparison, are considerably less than those of women in similar situations. And um, we've seen that, you know, there has been a percentage growth in the female population at 18.3, while the number of single women is 29.6. Over the last 10 years, there are a larger number of younger widows and also a larger number of never married women who claim to be single by choice over the age of 35 pointing towards both demographic as well as societal changes, adding to the growth in the numbers of single women. The number of never married women also, I mean, this is, I think, historic. You know, it's seen an unprecedented increase of almost 66%. Mostly, of course, these are urban professional women who uh, sometimes even after one divorce, just don't want to get remarried again 
also this the figures you know that i just quoted seem to suggest that there's an increase in the number of women who are choosing to stay married either that or the age of women the marriageable age of women now women want to pursue their professional careers their you know their personal ambitions rather than settle down by the biologically determined age you know we grew up hearing teens ki ho gayi hai like it was some kind of a cardinal sin to be 30 and unmarried and not a mother also something which is very very interesting uh, is uh, you know the fact that today households which are uh, you know headed by single earning single mothers have grown by 34.5% and given the ever increasing migration of young women and men to cities it seems that this number is going to grow uh this again of course is a worrying trend because policy unfortunately in this country continues to cater towards male headed households it's almost like we are in denial that there are single mothers and single breadwinners who are actually running their families um in 2001 again data uh, about uh, separated and divorced women was not disaggregated um and of course we saw that in 2009 the national forum intervened and demanded that separated women be enumerated separately the government has agreed uh again the data regarding separated women does not reflect the reality because we uh, honestly speaking i feel that the number of separated women today is much much more than what the last census figures actually reveal and that's because that you know there is so much of social stigma still around um, you know women actually coming out their families actually coming out and admitting that the marriage has broken down to the data collector as in 2001 in 2011 as well the data continues to show the existence of married females under the age of 18 years uh, so of course we still have you know women who are being forced probably into marriage at at very very young ages who are even becoming mothers by the age of 14 and 15 the lockdown you know we've all been reeling under the covid induced lockdown and uh, data once again shows that over 7 crore single women are also battling the lockdown on their own here i'm going to just um, you know read out or uh, you know re- cross reference a recent report conducted by the un women which revealed cases of women in various kinds of homes run uh, you know uh, which showed that approximately 13 million single mothers were running their homes making it around an estimated 4.5% of all indian households in the country this report titled progress of the world's women 2019-20 families in a changing world examines how the transformations in families impact women's rights and reveal that most countries can afford family friendly policies it found that globally a very very large majority of lone parent families which almost sort of lead up to 8% of all households are led by women and these are women who are juggling paid work they are managing child rearing they are contributing to unpaid domestic work as well as sometimes you know bearing the cross of aging and ailing parents 
And since the organization covered 89 countries in the report, the number of households led by single mothers goes up to 101.3 billion. Around the world, we are witnessing concerted efforts to deny women's agency and their right to make their own decisions in the name of protecting quote unquote family values. Yet we know through research, we know through data collection, census figures in different countries, that there is no more any standard formula of family, nor has there ever been. These were words by the UN Women Executive Director. And this report counters that pushback by showing that families in all their diversity are critical drivers of gender equality, provided that decision makers deliver policies which are rooted at the reality of how people live today and have women's rights at their core. This journey of mine, which I think has in a way, you know, uh, defined who I am, my purpose, you know, sometimes I just meet people now who say, oh, uh, hashtag status single, they sort of, you know, though I've written so many books, but they kind of just uh, remember me largely because of this one started with my own personal odyssey of being single. I'm, you know, because of, you know, we have a, a time restraint, I will talk about three separate incidents in my life. Uh, one was when I was on a holiday to Sri Lanka with my parents in the year 2016. And uh, I was harassed extremely obtrusively by the immigration officer. In fact, my book stated single, which um, as uh, uh, you know, uh, Anshila said, it is considered a seminal work of female identity opened with that. Uh, the immigration officer was extremely um, invasive, like I said, constantly probing, uh, you know, whether I, he saw the fact that I was a Miss Srimoy Piyukundu and he kept asking me what I do for fun. And uh, if my idea of a perfect vacation is a family holiday, uh, even, you know, sneakily whispering some places in Sri Lanka, beaches where he said single women can enjoy themselves. Um, my friend at that point of time was um, attached to the embassy of Sri Lanka. And I did take this up very, very strongly. Uh, I post on social media, which went viral and also her intervention. And I said, this is the last thing that a woman wants to face on a holiday. And here I am traveling with my, you know, aging parents. I shudder to think what single women in this country have to go through, you know, women who are actually uh, traveling alone. Another incident which stays with me is uh, a friend of mine uh, who was a journalist and he had married a Muslim uh, journalist and they were staying in my house and my mother was trying to find them accommodation uh, in Chittaranjan Park, which as most of you who are uh, having roots or having a life in Delhi will know is considered to be a Bengali ghetto. Um, I, I, I remember this incident so vividly, you know, it was an afternoon and my mother had uh, taken my friend and his newly married wife and myself to see a couple of houses which our broker had recommended. And, uh, you know, this Bengali lady very matronly in her, uh, you know, nighty came out and she was probably taking her afternoon siesta like all Bengalis do. And, uh, you know, she rubbed her eyes and she opened the door and she asked us our names. So my mother introduced herself first and then very proudly said, this is my friend's 
uh, a daughter's friend. He's a very well-known journalist. He's a young editor. This is his wife. She's with the Times of India. My parents were always very proud of my journalistic career, never stopped me. Um, and suddenly that lady said, Daran, which means wait a minute. What did you say the name of the girl is? And my mother said her name, which was a Muslim name. And she then looked at the broker, who was obviously a Bengali and was naturally known to her, and said to him that, haven't I told you never to bring Muslims and single women into this house? And I had faced the same kind of harsh discrimination when I uh, moved to Bombay, uh, you know, to join the Bombay Times, which is one of the leading lifestyle uh, publications of the city as entertainment and lifestyle editor in the year 2000. I was there from about 2003 to 2006. And, um, you know, despite the fact that the apartment was being taken on a company lease, everywhere I went, I had to wear this badge of being a bachelor girl. And the brokers would always tell me to wear, you know, I used to wear back in those days, a ring, a diamond ring, which is my birthstone, always used to tell me to swap the ring onto my left, uh, you know, the ring finger as a symbol that I was married. Everywhere I went, uh, the brokers would reassure the landlord or the landlady that my parents were going to visit me very often. And that I was uh, a family, a girl with family values. Uh, so once I remember on our way back from Mahim to VT, where the office of Bombay Times was, um, I asked him that, what do you mean, a girl with family values? Exactly what does that mean? Like the Sanskari Bharatiya Nari, what, what, what is your definition of it? And he said, ma'am, the problem is that, you know, you are associated with a paper like Bombay Times. Never mind that I was 24 and one of its youngest lifestyle editors. But um, that achievement was naturally not important or critical in finding a house in Bombay, known to be such a cosmopolitan city, uh, filled with, in fact, you know, single professionally qualified working women. And he said that, you know, the impression of people who work in Bombay Times is that you people party a lot, you smoke, you drink, page three ke utna betna hai. And therefore, you're going to be promiscuous and uh, you're going to bring men into the house and have wild parties. And, uh, you know, the society has a lot of rules. Uh, there's a wonderful documentary on Netflix called Bachelor Girls, which I urge anyone listening to watch, which is made by a dear friend of mine, Shikha Makan, who was a young documentary filmmaker who had faced this herself. And she was fighting and is still fighting a protracted court battle uh, with her housing society. Uh, on the same thing, you know, this, this humiliation of a woman uh, at the hands of this very male, very entitled, very middle-aged, uh, you know, like we are the moral guardian of women of this society kind of uh, housing uh, society, which is pretty common in Bombay. So that, that incident stayed with me, you know, the way that Auntie in CR Park, you know, a very Bengali, you know, with her shakha pola, very matronly, the way she almost treated us like pariahs and said, haven't I told you no single, single may are Muslim anbena, you know, don't bring Muslims and single women. That, that really stayed with me. Uh, then again, in uh, 2016, I was personally uh, going through a very, very uh, gray, dark time uh, just before my autoimmune disorder 
was officially diagnosed. I was in and out of hospitals. Uh, I had a respiratory problem. I had nerve pain. It was completely like a mystery ailment. And um, I felt sick in Bangalore. I had a, a respiratory distress one night and I taxied myself to a hospital called the Vikram Hospital in Bangalore. And then called up my friend saying, whoever I knew, one or two people saying, can you please come? Because I'm really sick and I can't breathe. And I think I may have cried uh, because I was in a lot of discomfort. And I was admitted. And actually, the title of my book, Status Single, comes from that hospital form, which I was made to fill. And even as I was going blue and I was literally gasping for breath, all the administrative guy wanted to know was why am I alone in a city like Bangalore and who's come with me? Aapke saath kaun hai? Aapke saath kaun hai? You know, this question haunted me from the time I, you know, got off the cab, uh, sat on the wheelchair, was wheeled into the emergency. A doctor finally, uh, you know, came to see me, examine me. Uh, my oxygen levels were very low. So he said, you know, we'll have to give you an IV. Then I was taken to a room. All of that, uh, the fact that I was all alone before my cousin and her husband arrived uh, seemed to be such an anomaly. So I'm going to, you know, just because uh, this whole movement is actually so related to my book, I'm going to read out a very, very short paragraph from my book, uh, Status Single, um, which is about this incident. Picture this scene. I am standing butt naked in a large hospital room miles away from my home in Delhi. My face is bluish green because of three consecutive respiratory attacks in a span of three days. I was wheeled into emergency by a bunch of strangers. My hands are swollen with unwieldy blood clots from continuous IV drips and steroid injections. This is the third time this is happening to me in the last six months the third hospital. My eyes are puffy from lack of sleep. I'm tensed. Tomorrow is the last day of my teaching assignment. If I don't go tomorrow, I won't be paid for the entire month, is what I think. My breathing is intermittent. The doctors, again, don't have a clue what caused this or what is the next test I should be prescribed. All I get is vague answers on my diagnosis. Sponging me the next morning, as I'm still groggy from lack of sleep, are two women. A frumpy ayah in her mid-50s who has a veritable moustache and a nurse, a 20-something Malayali in a pale olive green uniform who chatters on relentlessly on how she can't wait to join her spouse in Saudi Arabia. I listen in, my limbs aching every time I'm pushed and prodded as I ponder on the unfortunate fate of many women from her native state of Kerala who are married off to men they hardly ever see, except on holidays if they are lucky. The ayah, on the other hand, is a native Kanadiga. Her husband is a drunkard who occasionally lives with a younger woman. The ayah is childless. She and her husband have tried. She has failed, according to him. It's her fault. She curses the other woman, rolling her eyes, her lips quivering with an important rage. And yet, as these two women wipe my privates using a warm sponge, the room reeking of the nauseating smell of antiseptic, they constantly express a singular disbelief at how I am still single at 38, going on to suggest I consult a good astrologer at the earliest, alarmed 
at how a critical time like this, a crisis, I land up all by myself in a hospital in the middle of the night, muttering how I require a husband and that it's unfair to have my graying father fly down from Delhi to firefight a looming health crisis, another looming health crisis. As I slip into a pink striped gown, I watch the two women converse in a tongue not mine till the ayah blurts out bluntly in broken Hindi. You don't look your age, ma, but a woman's body is known to lie. Don't delay things further. Having a child will inevitably get tough soon. And then no man will ever touch you. What can you possibly give him then? No child. Like in her case, will my man also desert me within days of our marriage? Is this the unspoken fear in the minds of women who are forced by their families to settle down? This is the question on my tongue too. I wonder if that is the real fear and anxiety that haunts millions of childless women or those trapped in abusive mute marriages, afraid of not being able to procreate timely, failing the highest duty of a wife and the ultimate benchmark of the average Indian family, producing a bunch of noisy children. Images of cheerful families shown on television commercials drift past my fatigued mind. Aging grandparents, picnic baskets, matching t-shirts, and Bangkok holidays. Thoughts form and melt. I check my phone to see if my father has checked in at the airport and if he has texted confirming that his flight is on time. It's winter. Delhi is foggy and miserable. Logging onto Facebook, I read the status I had shared way past midnight, confessing that this was my greatest nightmare alive and how for the first time in my life, my aloneness had stared me in my face, literally knocking me over. The way my heart skipped when I filled out the following, status, single. The same hollowness returning as I now scanned through the virtual concern, pouring out on my timeline providing in a sense a passive sort of reassurance, except one of the comments that said, sucks being single, right? Or your poor dad, my room is eerily empty. After uh, Sarah's single was published in May 2018, and after we traveled to 10 Indian cities with this book, which was the recorded testimonials of over three and a half thousand women. What I also realized is that there is no one type of a single woman. A single woman is not just Shimoi, who's never been married and turned 40, who's the only child and has to manage her own finances, pay up her LICs on time, fret about not getting work to keep her afloat and take care of her parents and a small child as we foster uh, a little girl, my sister, who's now 11. I realized that single was also my widowed mother once. Uh, my father died by suicide and my mother, a young widow at 29, was forced to move back in with her parents because her school teacher's salary would not afford a roof over our heads. Single was also my divorced cousin sisters. Uh, you know, who had decided to then remain single by choice and who had faced a lot of familial, uh, you know, curiosity, taunts, and even blame games, you know, that maybe they were too ambitious. Maybe, you know, they were 
uh, one of them had chosen to be childless by choice. So that was blamed or attributed for the breakdown of her marriage. Singhal was also a young woman who I met in Pune and interviewed for my book, who now happens to be one of India's best known um, differently abled stand-up comics, Shweta Mantri, uh, a woman on a wheelchair who very much like the heroine of Margarita with a Straw, Kalki. And as you know, Margarita with a Straw is based on the life of disability rights activist Malini Chib, who happens to be a cousin of the director, Shonali Bose, who's also single, by the way. Um, you know, it's also a woman with disability. Single is also you know, the whole gamut of, uh, you know, LGBTQI, it is bisexual women, it is the trans women. Uh, and here I go back to an interview that I conducted on uh, Gauri Savant, who today happens to be very, very well known, thanks to a Vix commercial, uh, which really brought her into our homes, and I think hearts, uh, which actually showed the beautiful relationship that she shares with her adopted daughter Gayatri, uh, a child that she rescued from Kamathipura, which is one of Bombay's uh, largest red light areas where uh, Gauri works uh, to prevent AIDS and does a lot of work in distributing condoms, spreading sex awareness, and generally talking to trans women who work as sex workers. Uh, when I interviewed uh, Gauri, she was extremely uh, perturbed about the fact that while the you know Ministry of Child and Women's uh, uh, you know welfare had made adoption for single women easier, I won't say uh, completely fuss-free, but definitely easier. And there were icons like Sushmita Sen and a lot of Bollywood actresses who were now adopting or even talking about procedures like surrogacy. Uh, trans women like Gauri who were single still could not adopt. This was before, of course, the Supreme Court declared that, you know, that the third sex uh, is permissible, right? We could have that on our passports and legal documents. Um, also, I think I, I realized that, um, I mean, you guys probably would know this, that, uh, you know, in, in 2016, the Ministry of Women and Child Development also recognized single women as independent entities in its first ever draft national policy for women. And they talked about creating, and I quote, a comprehensive social protection mechanism for them. But unfortunately, and like many, many, uh, you know, important legislations, which are just stuck, nothing has really moved further on this. And, you know, it's almost like I say that whenever I'm talking about single women, be it in creating my community or trying to get sponsors for my summit, I feel that we are almost in denial. And while we have iconic single women, I mean, three chief ministers, Tamil Nadu, Uttar Pradesh, Bengal, have boasted of powerful single women politicians. You know, we've had J. Jalalita, who was called Amma, who's a six-time chief minister of Tamil Nadu, to Behen Mayavati, who's been a four-time chief minister of Uttar Pradesh, to, of course, Adidi Mamta Banerjee, who's serving as chief minister of West Bengal since 2011 we have you know actresses today who are single by choice they're brave and resilient about their choices um, yet the on ground reality of single women continues to be hauntingly different uh, even in my community older single women um, struggle with assisted community living 
the greatest fear of women seems to be who is going to look after me when i grow old a fear which often compels women uh, to either stay in dysfunctional and emotionally uh, you know absolutely sort of hollow uh, marriages where there's abuse there's physical torture there's marital rape there's no child support there's disrespect um or even you know uh, force women to accept uh, carefully orchestrated arranged marriages with men who they have nothing in common with you know and go through series of humiliations even in the process leading up to that marriage i mean i remember a time i met this you know ivy league uh, corporate honcho who was a big shot with sap technologies and we met at oberoi which i think he was trying to make an impression so he insisted that it had to be a five star uh, i wanted to meet at uh, the coffee house on mg road and just have my filter coffee at 5 pm but he insisted it had to be the very plush oberoi uh, outside we sat in the garden um and i remember the first question that he asked me i haven't forgotten this was whether i'm a virgin his mother later told my mother when uh, my mother said that sorry we can't take forward this alliance that it was because i was a journalist it was because i was a lifestyle editor uh, i've had men tell me that i apply too much of makeup and they are scared that if they were to marry me uh, the parlor kharcha will be very high um, someone told me that i'm too glamorous i i look too glamorous i'm not domesticated enough uh, in my appearance so the humiliation that women go through uh during the lockdown as a community we faced a lot of older single women somehow we don't even consider the fact that most of our mothers like most of the sisters of my mother are today single once again because they are widows or they have never got married we have aunts like this in the family and today they have nowhere to go so during the lockdown one of the concerns uh, in the community was where do these older single women whose children do not live with them go because they are largely dependent on the kindness and compassion of neighbors and of house help who might be trusted and you know charging them a fat fee but you know that money is being sent by the children to look after them and you might be surprised to know that today um according again i'm going back to the census data 1.5 single women uh, 1.5 lakh single women uh, have never been married in the age group of 60 to 65 and this number will only increase because in the next 5 years the elderly population of india is expected to reach 143 million um, you know the the well heeled single woman is also now one of the greatest investors of property Uh, and we have you know very very sophisticated retirement communities coming up all across the country and i'm going to quote this uh, amakosh in kasoli which is an assisted community uh, living retirement uh, you know uh, haven like they call it 10% of all bookings have been done by single women uh, and sanjay lakotia i had spoken to him he's one of the co-founders he says this is a striking new development single older women whether unmarried divorced or widow have an immediate need for independent living options and in comparison couples often book and they move in much later sometimes it's booked by their children but they never really move in so this demographic is becoming important to us even as real estate builders and observers of the market 
A studio apartment at Amakosh Kasoli costs rupees forty-five lakhs, and a two BHK there costs rupees ninety-eight lakhs. Helicopters take you to Delhi, uh, attached to most of the best hospitals in the city of Delhi. Um, I think my aim in building up this community or speaking about it as much as I do and uh, as much as I want to is because I want to mainstream this community. I want policy to change. I want our health to be prioritized. I want the government to look at us like a not a weak marginalized community, but a marginalized community. I want women to have access to healthcare. I know, you know, as a woman who's battled a, of course, an autoimmune disorder, but more than that, gynecological um, illnesses like PCOD, like endometriosis, that every time I have reached out to a healthcare professional, uh, I have only been met with judgment and scorn. Women I've interviewed in the book have openly spoken about how doctors, women gynecologists uh, in top healthcare facilities across the country have been very, very judgmental, often refusing to perform an abortion, which is legalized in India. Uh, also, more and more, I see women whose marriages are breaking down, wanting to come back to work. And here I'm going to talk about the hypocrisy of the corporate world, uh, which, you know, Tom Tom's diversity and inclusion, but is horribly ageist. Uh, I've had women in the community tell me that, you know, we want to put a PIL saying that, you know, companies like Amazon, when they're advertising for marketing staff or for social media experts or even, uh, you know, software engineers are only stating the professional qualifications that are required. But when we are actually appearing for those interviews armed with all our degrees, with all our professional experiences, what we find is that, you know, they are, oh, you're, okay, you're not married. Oh, you're, you're going to be touching 50. You know, it's almost like there's this, this wall. You know, when I've gone literally door to door uh, in Bangalore to big corporations like Titan, for example, uh, which, you know, uh, it's one of its companies like Raga, you know, their entire advertising and marketing campaign is around single women. If you remember that ad with Nimrat Kaur, sitting at the airport and she bumps into her ex and, you know, he slightly sort of makes a jibe that, oh, you're still single. And she says, yes, I will be till I find the right person. Or the beautiful ad of a young widow being led to the altar by her daughter. And she's, you know, getting married for the second time, which I always feel is so reflective of my mother's journey. Uh, even that organization, I have been asked questions like, will the SWIFT summit be anti-men? Will it tell women that marriage is a bad thing? Will it influence women wrongly? I almost felt like, you know, when we were growing up and there was this one aunt of mine who had fallen in love out, you know, with a Muslim man outside her marriage and she'd left her marriage, which was clearly dead by the time she fell in love and how she was always looked upon as the bad aunt in our family. So whenever she would come to visit, my grandparents would, and I was, you know, I loved her because she used a lot of makeup. She was a warm, gregarious person, was a great singer, great cook. And my grandfather would tell me later when she left, oh, be careful, you're turning out to be just like her. 
So I felt like that when I've gone for these pitches where people are, you know, they're stunned by the figures. Woo, 74.1 million, dude, that's a huge demographic. I mean, this is like a cash cow that companies are sitting on because these are women who have buying power. These are women buying houses, cars. Uh, they're self-employed. They are starting their own entrepreneurial ventures. But hold on, is your summit going to be telling women that that is a better life? that they could be happier that way, that children do not need a father or a, you know, a paternal side of the family to be normal, healthy, functional adults. I felt that prejudice. It's, it's very, very strong, even in so-called you know, woke corporate India. Uh, just the other day, there was a great report in Economic Times which said banks right, which are today having actresses like Deepika before her marriage, uh, you know, talk about, you know, buying everything, earning their own keep, spending as much as you want. Women are not able to get loans. Women who are even giving up all their gold to start a small business are being advised by bank managers, sometimes women, uh, saying that, oh my God, who's the guarantor? And if the guarantor is an aging parent, it's out. You have no chance uh, of ever getting that loan. And this, again, is in an industry which is talking about women becoming financially savvy, which is talking about women becoming house owners, which is talking about women, uh, you know, saving women, you know, uh, running their households. So I find that, you know, I think we're, I definitely feel we are on the brink of a social revolution. I feel it is as much a cultural revolution as a social, societal, familial, financial revolution. But, you know, the, the struggle here is we are clashing with our culture because this is a culture which has told us that the Devi is the married woman. It's the sitahood that is celebrated and venerated. You know, uh, today I, I read a very, very interesting article which said that, and it's ironical, that ancient India seemed to be quite comfortable with the idea of a single mother, a single childless woman uh, or a single mother. Gargi, um, scholar and daughter of sage uh, Vachanku, was a single woman who refused to be curtailed by marriage. Uh, Shakuntala was probably mythology's first single mother. Uh, in the original text, as you know, she was abandoned by King Dushyant, her lover, and she was scornful of the royal legacy of a lover husband. She tells him that she has brought up their son Bharat as a prince of the forest, as a child of nature. Then there is Hidimba, who brings up Ghatotkacha alone in the forest without the father Bhima. Also Jabal, the mother of famous philosopher Rishi Satyakama Jabali, who lends her name to her son. When a young Jabali goes to Rishi Gautam for his higher education and is asked about his father, he gives the answer supplied to him by his mother. And he says, I do not, the mother says to him, I do not know who your father is. I gave birth to you. You were born from my womb. I'm your mother. You are Jabali, the son of Jabal. That is your identity. That is all that matters. My dream is someday, like the New Yorker, we will acknowledge single women as a resilient, courageous, dynamic, diverse, 
and extremely you know large uh, demographic group of women we won't be seen as failures we will be seen as you know women who have achieved a lot on their own and right now like i was telling uh, dr kumar uh, and i meant that you know actually again ironically the prime minister is talking about hashtag #atmanirbhar bharat which category of women more than us really stands for that self reliance um, you know determination coming out of adverse circumstances and just trying to lead a life which is fraught with difficulty loneliness um, very very fragile mental health because we are so pressurized we have no one to turn to uh, you know like laws may be getting progressive but on ground implementation is is tough there's still a lot of social stigma and prejudice and yet here we are thank you uh thank you ma'am for uh, such an in-depth and uh, such a thought provoking talk on that uh, and it was really also very powerful that you drew from your own experiences and your work in part along with also sharing some really important data so thank you so much for that uh, you've really uh, brought up so many important aspects of this discussion uh, so it was thoroughly engrossing but it also leaves us with much to think about in that how the discussion around single women is uh, reduced to a very frivolous thing but it cannot be that and it needs to be uh, taken in all seriousness uh with the aspects of uh, uh health and financial empowerment and how policy really needs to take shape uh with uh, these considerations so thank you and with that in mind and to keep the discussion going i would like to go to our ms chatopadhyay um sohini chatopadhyay is an award winning independent journalist based in kolkata who writes on politics public health and the arts uh in 2017 she won the bala kelasam citation for reporting on the web and uh, many uh, awards and recognition for her journalism um thank you um dr mehta um thank you shrimoy for your uh, excellent talk uh, i'm still thinking about it um am i audible Yes yes please okay. yes um i wanted to actually bring up two things that uh, one of the things is something that shimoy and i have actually discussed uh, because it's something that um friends and of hers friends we have in common doctors mentioned um which is that um these are doctors who um treat uh, one of them is a breast uh, specialist uh, and she leads the breast institute uh, at a leading hospital in calcutta and she had said and uh, another doctor friend of ours had actually also agreed that this was her experience as well that um, when um, they see men um, going through cancer they often see that uh, you know their partners are a very very solid part of the entire journey the odyssey of treatment but when it is the other way around that when it's women who are um 
who've been diagnosed with cancer or with a very serious uh, chronic problem, then in the course of the treatment, they often see that there's a point at which the male partner stops <laughs> coming, stops showing up. Mm. And some of their patients have confided in them enough to say that, okay, so the relationship or the marriage is breaking up. And uh, actually, this is also this could this is a good point to ask uh, you at Impri that I had actually thought about doing a story about this because it's so potent, right? That if you have women um, who are partnered, who are married, and and then they're made, you know, many of them, the majority of them, when you compare that experience of a life-threatening disease, life-threatening possibly terminal disease treatment for that, when they go through that, that in comparison to men who continue to be supported by their female partners, the women are finding themselves um, abandoned, really. Mm. Uh, how do we do a story about this? And the question that I uh, faltered on was, uh, you know, how do we get data on this? You know, there's you know, there's a one way of doing the story is anecdotal. Um, and we had these friends of ours in common, two very, very respected professionals in Calcutta. And I'm sure there would be other cases, but how do you make this into, you know, stop this from being anecdata, as I call it, you know, five, five, five anecdotes. And then, you know, you say this, this happens. And a lot of features reporting in India is, like yes. that sadly uh, English language feature reporting is that which is why it's probably not taken seriously but how do you make this into data how do you get um, statistics figures on this um, because uh, I don't know if anybody is even collecting maybe these two professionals who are really uh, good at, at their work and also deeply moved by this phenomenon they had observed Maybe they might be actually taking notes, but how do you construct this? So I invite uh, um, the academics at INPRI who may be listening uh, to my question to suggest what is, how do we find a way to do this? And uh, the second thing I wanted to say is that it's also to do with uh, medical um, medical things actually, because that's one of the things I write on is health and medicine. So one of the stories that um, I spent a lot of time doing and uh, I found a lot of acclaim for is a story about how women in India are uh, the majority of living organ donors by far. And I used uh, the right to information RTI to access data from uh, government hospitals. And I used, uh, you know, my own context through various years of several years of reporting on health uh, from, you know, to, to ask private hospitals to share data as well. So I got 10 years worth of data from five cities and 10 hospitals, a mix of uh, government, private and mission hospitals. And uh, so the data is very stark that uh, the majority of living organ donors in India uh, are, I think uh, what I found was 75% of living kidney donations come from women and 61% of living liver donations come from women. 
and the other side of the story how many women are organ recipients in transplant so those figures were i think you know absolutely depressing 19% of uh, living kidney transplant recipients are women and i think 24 or 28% of living kid, uh, liver uh, recipients were women uh, i don't know if this sounds like too much information i don't know how much people are aware of organ transplant so i'll just very quickly say that you know there are two ways of getting a transplant one is to have a deceased organ donor that's the sort of thing that you see most often in popular culture in uh, films or seen advertising that you donate your organs after death and uh, somebody who needs it uh, gets access to the organ but by far in india uh, like maybe there's no actual data on this except certain states like tamil nadu but and even in tamil nadu by far uh, organ transplants in india are based on living organ donation so it's a possible um, medical sciences advanced and the, the uh, you have what you call immunosuppressant so it's very possible to you know give away one kidney and donate it to somebody who is uh, you know having a chronic kidney problem and it's also possible to donate up to 70% of your liver as a living donor and the liver is an organ that regenerates so women are by far uh, you know the numbers are staggering in terms of the donations living organ donations that they make and the recipient numbers are even more staggering and as far as kidney uh, disorders are concer concerned there's actually data which shows that uh, women are more likely to have kidney problems it's not that men are more likely to have uh, kidney problems with liver i think it's slightly more plausible possible that men are more at risk because one of the most common reasons for having a um a liver transplant is having uh, you know bad making bad lifestyle choices and that doesn't always mean alcohol or alcohol related uh, disorders but it could also mean you know bad eating which is something that men who are out and about and you know eating off the road street food are much more likely to do now this long preamble to say that you know this is one of the stories that i did but uh you know i continue to be interested in the story and i continue to research it and uh, very re recently one of the doctors who helped me a lot getting access to data and you know uh, interpreting it told me that she started observing that some she's a she's a senior liver specialist and so many of her patients uh, have liver transplant so she's started observing that families now often mention sometimes mention okay let's not say often mention that i have a niece she's not even married so you know why can't she give her liver um uh, or somebody may say that okay i have a you know younger sister she's not even married so you know this demographic that uh, shimoy was talking about single of course it can vary across age but if you're not married uh, or if you are uh, not married at the time so you could be a widow you could be a, um, a previously married person who is now separated or divorced you're seen as somebody at least you can give your 
organs. Now, again, I've hit the roadblock of, you know, how do I get data on this? You know, the data that I used uh, for my uh, story on organ transplants and gender was fairly basic. I just applied for a right to, I, I made right to information requests to government hospitals and say, said, tell me the number of organ transplant, organ uh, donors who are female in kidney and in liver separately across uh, you know, a 10 year period. So that's fairly basic question, but this is a lot more sophisticated. What is the sort of person from whom families expect uh, an organ donation? So I just uh, thought that uh, these are two observations that I uh, thought I should share. And I also invite you to tell me, you know, how can we make uh, stories like this more meaningful with uh, data? How do we collect this? I'd like to bring up something briefly that I, you know, I was just keeping an eye on the time. Uh, Shohini also writes on Bollywood, so she may have a point of view or some of you listening may would, uh, you know, may want to have a word. I find the portrayal of single women in popular culture also to be extremely stereotypical and skewed. And I think that's one of the reasons, at least I have found it very difficult. You know, when I go and talk to say corporations or institutes like yours uh, for partnership uh, opportunities, uh, I find, you know, like the, the image of the single woman has been painted by what Bollywood is showing us, which is unfortunate because here are two real life flesh and blood single women, you know, and I have so many women in my community and of course over three and a half thousand women who I interviewed for the book. But uh, the lens through which we look at a single woman's life is, you know, she's uh, promiscuous, she has no responsibility, she's uh, drinking, she's sleeping around, she's the, the you know, the upper or the rich woman of uh, South Bombay, like the women in four more shots. And, you know, I actually uh, found this quote by Rangita Nandi, Rangita Pritish Nandi, who is the producer of four more shots, please, which was incidentally even nominated for an Emmy, I understand this year. It thankfully didn't win uh, because I thought it was a, a very badly made, uh, uh, you know, uh, show. But um, she says, Rangita says, Amazon was on the same page in recognizing that single people and single women in particular, for whom it was a conscious decision to stay single were a reality in Mumbai and India. Now look at that. Reality in Mumbai and India. So our image of the single woman is Metro. You know, she's from the Metro. It helped that Aparna, Aparna Purohit is the lady who heads uh, content for Amazon and uh, who was part of the green lighting team was single, as were Ishita, my sister and I. Three women in a room of five people. That decision was made two slides into our pitch deck. But, you know, what have you shown on that show is my question. It's, it's according to me, a cheap ripoff of, you know, sex and the city. And why are we still so bloody fixated on, you know, an 80s book and an 80s show, Sex and the City, which I used to love at some point, mainly for Carrie's fashion. But today I just can't relate to it. And I think women in America also have now moved way past 
you know, that trajectory and that narrative. So somewhere I think, you know, for researchers who like say Shohini have an interest or their domain of work is popular culture. It would be very interesting to see who is the single woman in our cinema. You know, either she is the widowed suffering single mother who's carrying that, you know, the langol as we call it, you know, the mother in India who sweats and toils for her children and, uh, you know, is preyed upon by the rich zamindar. So she's still a fodder for male lust. Or she is the South Bombay, richy rich, um, you know, sleeping with married men, smoking, going on sex holidays, uh, you know, in Rohit Bal and, you know, that kind of, you know, bikinis on beaches, bronze bodies. But apart from this, is there, is there, uh, you know, another lens of looking at single women, which I think is, is the reality of single women and the truth about single women in India? Uh, yes, thank you, Ms. Sohini Chattopadhyan, again, Srimoy Kundu Ma'am, for uh, bringing up some pertinent points around uh, the theme of single women. Uh, uh, Ms. Chattopadhyay, you talked about um, data, which of course uh, is, it's, it's an issue that baffles in all uh, fields. And uh, I would like to say that we do conduct surveys where we ask uh, questions around the marital status and try to gather data on single women. But then the issue of sample size often comes and then how reliable are the insights we can draw from that data. So that is one thing perhaps uh, more light uh, can like you, the other discussions can shine more light on that data. And Srimoy um, Kundu Ma'am again, uh, right, about uh, uh, how single women are portrayed in media and it often, then it often uh, corrupts the discussions we have on single women because those uh, false narratives portrayed then often become the basis for how a lot of the public perceives uh, single women, right? So that's another a very pertinent thing that you've brought up that we need to think about. So moving on with the discussion, uh, next I would like to call uh, Dr. Simim Heta. Uh, she is the CEO and editorial director of IMPRI. Over to you, ma'am. Thank you very much, Anshula. Thank you so much. Uh, I was just fascinated by uh, Srimoy ma'am's uh, lecture. What a passionate talk and um, supported by uh, Ms. Sohini. Thank you so much uh, to uh, both our respective respected panelists for today. And um, I, I just wanted you to, both of you to continue. And it was, sometimes I had chills and sometimes I was like, okay, yes, this is the harsh reality. So thank you again. Um, I'll just raise a few points and leave you with open questions if you could uh, throw some light on. So yes, single women are often seen from the lens of vulnerability. Uh, we, on the one hand, we are denying women the agency. And uh, on the other hand, we call them as bechari, as abla, and uh, abla nari, etc. Uh, I am provoked to think out aloud about, do we uh, treat the single men in the same manner? 
um, certainly we do not deny them the agency like we do to the um, single women because uh, we have uh, in fact we are testimonies to very powerful single men in the country uh, from chief ministers to the prime minister uh, this certainly points out points towards the systemic patriarchy that is deeply embedded in our society um and as anshula also mentioned about the media and uh, media portrayals tv advertisements um, social media etc where wherein women are actually shown to be applying makeups or uh, to be wearing good clothes etc fancy clothes to be more liked or likable uh, by their boyfriends partners husbands etc so um, another thing that um, shri moi ma'am uh, pointed out was the humiliation the personal humiliation she had faced uh, while being sort of uh, denied of um, marriage alliance um, so what i think personally is it uh, such kind of rejections actually come out of the covert insecurities uh, and scared that the men have inside of them that they are less competent and they are less progressive vis-a-vis the independent financially sound and very empowered women so they are they feel that they will not be able to keep pace with such partners and therefore because of that inherent uh, masculinity they go ahead and then they say that i do not want to marry this this person so uh, another thing uh, about uh, um the the healthcare uh, i actually had a friend who uh, was pregnant and uh, pregnant with a second child uh, she went to the gynecologist and she said uh, the other woman said that uh, this is my third child and uh, i have come here all alone uh, because uh, uh, my my in-laws have said that okay now you know everything so you can go and get yourself treated uh, so uh i mean this is how uh, even if you are in a marriage in a marriage alliance you are uh, left to look after yourself uh, even if you are almost fulfilling the demands of uh, maybe uh, having a male child so uh, and another uh, another thing about widowhood uh, widowhood is often considered in india as a state of social death uh even among the high higher castes in the in our country so again i am forced to think about why this should change uh, for a widower this is not so this is not a social death and if the husband dies you know because of um, bad um, uh, habits say for example excessive drinking out out of a liver failure or out of excessive smoking because of lung cancer then why should the implications fall upon the woman uh, who uh, or make her more vulnerable uh, the wife that uh, the man leaves behind mm. and uh, yeah so these were my thoughts and uh, my question to ma'am is kundu ma'am is that have you uh, checked about um, or made a comparative analysis about the status of single women in developed countries uh if yes uh, what are the policy lessons what are the lessons both policy and otherwise which we can draw uh, as we move forward in, uh, in making an independent uh, i mean good society uh, so to say and to bring out a bring forward or foster a, a social and cultural revolution that actually acknowledges the women who are courageous uh, who um, 
acknowledges women as courageous uh, individuals not as uh, individuals who are married off or daughters or anybody of you know without any strings attached so uh, your views on that so thank you, you so much again it. thank you so uh, i'll tell you uh, you know one of the things that i i want implemented in india it's a dream is a healthcare policy for single women uh, in australia my best friend's sister who lives in sydney is a single mother she's been divorced thrice not once or twice but thrice and she uh, was detected with breast cancer at the time her third marriage was falling apart um, everything her entire treatment the education of her youngest child is borne by the state because she was abandoned by her husband and she was also a victim of domestic abuse um i want the same in india in america for instance uh the same kind of health healthcare benefits are afforded to uh, single women that you know if you're a single mother then the state gives you uh, if you're below a certain income level the state gives you something called dole which is you know like a state uh, sanctioned amount of money um you know even in insurance policies uh, there are certain uh, how do i say licenses or certain benefits which are given to single women especially if you're a single mother or you're a breast cancer ovarian cancer survivor or you are a woman with disability here we do i mean i just feel that there is so much of see that's what i'm saying that you know the whole single women's revolution it attacks patriarchy where it hurts the most which is that a woman is not a mother and she's not a wife you know the the ultimate subjugation of women into this patriarchy you know patriarchy led role that a woman has to fulfill this prophecy of a birth almost that she has to get married and she has to have a child and then she has to fall into place what is my place you know usko line mein lao you know it's an assembly line right you're born your parents educate you uh, your bitiya is a paraya dhan then the marriage happens she throws the mountful scoop full of rice behind her shoulders so she repays her parental debt and then she's gone and if the husband dies and if she's a widow then she has to be this asexual creature uska sar mundwa do you know send her to varanasi or kashi where she's again going to be uh, sexually assaulted and she's going to be you know wedded to the lord almost so i think the single women's revolution talks about agency it talks about sexual autonomy it talks about financial liberation and it does take on patriarchy which is why i think we are so scared of it the government is scared of it the you know while we are making policies like okay a child does not need the signature of two parents today on a passport but when we went to the passport office to get a passport for my sister because we decided as a family that we would never travel abroad without her she's so much a part of us we realized that the rule for an abandoned women is woman is that she has to produce an fir that the husband has left her now firstly tell me my sister's mother is our house help she is an illiterate maid i hate using that word but i am for effect or any woman who has been abandoned i have abandoned women in my community who for 5 years were just trying to find out oh has he left me is he with somebody else what about muslim women i mean we didn't even touch the topic of triple talaq which is such a burning issue and how polygamy is almost sanctioned uh, by their religion 
so you know at the end of the day our you know government may make one or two rules and we tom tom it saying oh the prime minister is so progressive the ministry of child and women's welfare is doing such great work but on ground implementation women are being humiliated by the national commission of women i have had a conversation with the chairperson where i've said that you know women domestic violence victims who are uh, being guided by the police that up un ncw ke paas jaiye wahan pe you know complaint file kijiye they are being humiliated they are being asked did you have an affair uh, you know were, were you spending too much of his money do you dress a certain way nahi to kyun your husband looks like a very sober guy he is a government official why would he beat you up so everything is a woman's fault you know if she's unmarried it's her fault if she's childless it's her fault if she's her husband dies it's her fault you know if if she's disabled it's her fault if she falls in love with a woman or she can love man and woman at the same time that's her fault you know so because you know our fate is so connected to our womb and our womb tells us that by a certain age bachche paida karo ghar grihasthi karo that's it kaam karo but ye bhi tumhara jeevan ka ek this is one like it's a role it's a prophecy so definitely you know developed countries like australia canada you know there are a lot of housing benefits which are given interest rates sometimes you know are you know the women can negotiate here a entrepreneur like you know i've got entrepreneurs in my community who are running huge companies you know they have been humiliated by bank ceos you know saying that are you sure you want to start this business what if you get married like hello can't i be a business woman and um you know a uh, uh, or a very successful corporate and a single woman and who are our single women icons apart from a shushmita sen or a tapsi pannu or a swara bhaskar i'm sure tapsi and swara will settle down at some point and great for them but i'm saying who are our single women icons in corporate india i was only able to find somebody of the stature of vinita bali who's the former ceo of britannia Uh, who's never been married like me so who are our single women icons uh, like you know in in the aged uh, or the senior citizens group you know i was speaking to kamla bhasinji and i said you're such a role model for single women but you know we don't showcase them whenever we want to showcase a single woman we want to show young beautiful drinking smoking you know about town you know i can do whatever i want but can we like i would love to have this discussion for the next one hour but in the next 5 minutes i have to leave because i have to cook dinner for my father who's just lost his mother last week and he's grieving and every day i'm cooking dinner for him just to make him feel better and i have to because along with being community founder columnist whatever lecturer i'm also the only child and i'm an emotional caregiver to my parents i'm sure shohini and many of us you know have these kind of responsibilities if not more yeah so i mean we have so much to do like the national draft policy itself has not gone forward in the last 4 years it is 2020 and it's still latkoing as they say you know like a trishanku just stuck right right ma'am that's uh, thank you again for uh, just highlighting so much of the vulnerability and exploitation across the board for single women and you've talked about uh, so many roadblocks and loopholes in 
uh, access to health or uh, legal recourse or even in getting uh, a government document made, right? So uh, you briefly mentioned uh, health policy or uh, other things. So just, I think uh, in conclusion, could you uh, talk about in your view, what would be the small steps uh, that we could take at the local and macro policy levels uh, to uh, approach uh, this and uh, to approach this in a very structural and institutional way? I think firstly, uh, we have to have a census. Uh, I believe it was supposed to happen this year, but because of the COVID, it was derailed. And I think we need a more uh, holistic sampling of the accurate figures of single women. Now see the figures that I have quoted throughout this talk were last shared with us in 2015. And they were made public in 2015, but the survey happened in 2011. So these figures are actually a decade old. Also, you know, like I said, on the research level, I want to know more. You know, single women are not just from metro cities. What is the reality of single women from tire two, tire three cities? What are their life struggles? What are they facing? You know, I've, you know, for instance, at the rural grassroots level, there are, uh, uh, you know, organizations like, uh, you know, the one led by uh, my dear friend, Jini Shivastav, Ekal Nari Shakti Sangatan, which has done pioneering work uh, in Rajasthan and Northern India for um, largely widows, you know, getting them Aadhaar cards, getting them work in their husband's factories, ensuring that their land disputes are amicably settled with the thekedars, etc. But, you know, on the urban uh, Indian front, I think A, we, it's, it's very fragmented, the single women's revolution. It's very fragmented. We, do, you know, we have to first collect this data in an organized manner. You know, what is the, also, what is the age group? What is the income, uh, you know, disparities? Today, we are talking about urban middle class, but what about urban poor? I mean, during the lockdown, we did a survey in the community where we saw that, uh, you know, so many women, almost 500 women were interviewed in the community and they were struggling financially. Women did not have any savings. They were just living off, you know, EMI to EMI. They didn't, you know, they didn't have a house. The father had not given the house to them because, you know, had spent so much on their marriage that the dowry is like your, your inheritance. You get nothing after that. Right. I mean, there were widows who had been cheated out of their husband's property by in-laws. So many things. The law, you know, we, we only talk about uh, rape laws, which are very, very important. But what about laws to do with single women? What about inheritance laws? What about the triple talaq bill? What about, you know, uh, making, uh, you know, today we talk about like, OK, there's one thing about policy and there's one thing about laws. What about sensitization on the ground? What about sensitizing you know, everybody from university professors to bosses in offices to doctors to policemen to lawyers to just about everybody. The sensitization program has to be widespread. Just the way today we are seeing a lot of good work happening in the case of the LGBTQI spectrum. There's a lot of gender sensitization. We talk about it all the time. You know, we have a lot of corporate sponsoring programs. The same thing has to happen. We can't be talking in this, you know, like this kind of echo chamber just between ourselves. The reason for me to do the summit is show the world 
that India has, as I said, we would be one of the most populated nations of single women, more than Canada, more than Australia, more than South Africa. Show it to people. Let's talk about the problems. Show them the sheer numbers for people to wake up and smell the coffee. For, you know, everybody from research institutes like yours to policymakers to, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, entertainment portals to publishers who are getting books published. Can you imagine till I wrote Status Single, there was not a single book written on single women in the nonfiction arena. Mine was the first. Nothing. It's almost like I'm saying we, we, we are in denial because you're not proud of her. You're always going to be a little apologetic for the fact that she's a widow or she's not married or her husband left her and ran away for a younger woman who gave him three sons. You know, she's always going to stick out like a sore thumb. So what, what the movement and what such evenings I hope do is Prove that we don't want to just stick out like a sore thumb. We want to be heard. We want the, you know, the draft policy from 2016 to move forward. We want the rule to be amended for abandoned women. What is the protection? You know, there are women who don't come out of marriages because they don't want to go to their father's house. In the US, for instance, there are shelters for battered women. Here, the shelters for battered women, you, a woman of my class, who's slightly upper middle class, won't even want to step into a shelter like that because there's a class bias. You know, you would expect your maids to be there, the same maids who are hit and come to work every day covering their bruises, right, with the archal or the dupatta. So what about shelters for battered women? What about foster homes for children? Uh, you know, what about you know, having programs which help women come back to the workforce, reboot their careers so that they can become breadwinners, so that they can afford legal care. They can, you know, buy their own homes. They don't have to become truly Atmanirbhar, which I believe is what the Prime Minister expects of this nation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Kumar. Uh, yes, ma'am. I'll just like to make uh, a few points since you are also joining from Kolkata. So uh, many of the reforms which, you know, uh, earlier also, Raja Ramon Roy really led the reforms for, you know, Sati, something also very uh, unacknowledged at that time. But uh, since again, ma'am, you are also raising from that land only, this very much needed reform, which is not only uh, uh, limited to India, but to South Asia and all, it, it is also becoming uh, a global phenomenon. Global. Right. Yes, rightly, ma'am is mentioning that it is also not just urban, but also rural. Many of the surveys we have also done uh, there, we, uh, during this COVID only, so many stories, few stories came also from Tamil Nadu, that old widowed women, you know, 60, 70 plus, and then they are getting 300, 500. In terms of policy, you rightly mentioned, we have this national social assistance policy uh, program, wherein Indira Gandhi widow, we give but 300, 500, 300, such a mere amount. Yeah. Yeah. Such yeah. a mere amount, it varies from state to state. And the policy really that the draft policy, everyone through this gender gap series, we are also uh, are looking at it. But really the point is mainstreaming single women. And most of the policies we have or the program or scheme we have that is for poor women. So that is also, you know, such a bottleneck. But the demands which ma'am you are uh, making and uh, uh, especially pertaining to uh, uh, a different diverse set of uh, single women, uh, having the agency, 
really but this demand is not misleaded because it is really uh, uh, by the the constitutional uh, 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 things and power we have uh, we have for liberty equality fraternity and also for independence economic independence it has really become yes a stigma uh, uh, but the education awareness uh, uh, is required and we are so thankful that you are recording in time in history what you have to say uh, representing all these women lastly i really wanted to uh, know from you not from only a poor women looking from policy middle class or upper but all sets of women what that what what will be the enabling factors uh, in principles to make uh, all this our atmanirbhar we have also have so many hashtags to make also all women including single women uh, uh, especially to to have more of their atmanishwas and atmasamman also embedded in this atmanirbhar bharat uh, what should be should be integrated in our school education uh, like you mentioned that also awareness like swachh bharat mission what should be uh, and many people names also ma'am you mentioned what should be the approach because what has done in uh, uh, have been the best practices at other parts of the world and how to take this forward you know ma'am concluding remarks yes yeah my concluding remarks are that um, i hope for you know this is my dream for my sister who is now 11 you know when i was growing up um, i remember my grandmother used to wear a beautiful um, and this is going to sound like a story but i i am a storyteller and therefore i must end with a story that she used to wear this beautiful um, you know ruby and diamond necklace which is a family heirloom and i remember i asked my grandmother once please can i have it and my grandmother didn't see my 18th birthday and i said can i wear it on my 18th birthday and she looked at me and she said no you're going to get this on your marriage you wear this on your marriage your mother wore this on her marriage day you know i i want to dream of a world for my sister where she can have whatever she wants without a deadline or a dateline for her happiness that is my dream i want children to be raised especially daughters to be raised in this country uh you know and we raise them to open their bank accounts by a certain age to you know know that they have to stand on their own feet and not be told things like oh you're going to you know get this jadao necklace on on your marriage day so the marriage day almost becomes like a personal goal post like mujhe to ye you know it's almost like achieving 100% marks in your icse ki ye mujhe i have to hit bullseye fir mujhe ye milega you know the respect the love the admiration of my family the jadao necklace the family inheritance or whatever it is i'm only going to get on that day of course we need sensitization in schools uh, sex education is not the only thing we need to tell our daughters that they will inherit the earth of their choice that they are free to dream the dreams that they want to love who they want to or not love uh, you know that it's all right for a woman to be ambitious and successful and powerful and not be scared of her own power and power doesn't come only from prettiness you know it just doesn't come from looking beautiful being slim fair getting that iit iim bridegroom and you know then producing kids and you know being popular on social media and ticking all the boxes power power comes from knowing i earn my own keep 
power comes from knowing I can go into a hospital and, you know, I can go for a mammogram because that is something that as a woman, every woman should do at 30 or power comes from knowing that I can love whoever the hell I want to love. And I don't even need to get married to be with that person, you know? So I think policy is one thing, but like I'm saying, mindset, the revolution has to be of our minds. And the revolution has to start with our minds changing. You know, with mothers not telling their daughters that your marriage is the only thing that will ensure your happiness or your financial stability or your social security. That mothers tell their daughters, open your bank accounts, earn your own money, get out of the house, live on your own, have a lover, have 10 lovers, it's all right, it's your life. Own your decisions. I think that is critical. And I'm glad that we're having this discussion. Um, as I said, I'm very grateful to the Gender Impact Study Center at IMPRI for uh, involving me in this. Uh, of course, you followed my work, which makes me also very grateful. Uh, and I feel we are seen, uh, we are heard. Sometimes, you know, when you're doing the kind of work that I do, which is largely in isolation and with a community just like me, you often feel that is anybody really listening? Uh, but you are, and we are, and that gives me a lot of hope. And I hope we can have more talk series on this. Uh, Shohini brought up some such important points about healthcare, about the importance of research and data collection uh, in the field of healthcare and women. Uh, popular culture and women, uh, you know, I think there's so many, like I'm saying, single women in India is one of the most diverse, uh, densely populated demographics. And I hope someday we can address, you know, this whole spectrum and not just bring about policy change, but also a revolution of our thinking, which I think is critical in a patriarchal conservative country like ours. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. That's a really a beautiful thought to end on and you've really laid out so many things that you think. Uh, Anshula, a little bit louder. Is it better now? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes, can... I was saying uh, thank you, ma'am. It's a really beautiful note to end on and there are some things that we can hope to aspire to. Uh, and I would like to thank you again for introducing this discussion here uh, at this IMPRI session and also through your work uh, where you are bringing the discussion around single women, you're popular popularizing it in India and through your writing, you're also taking the plight of Indian single, single women at the global level. So thank you for that. And formally, once again, I thank our speaker, uh, Srimoy Piyokundu for taking out the time to come here today. It really uh, warrants more discussion uh, uh, with the thoughts that you've brought up here today. Um, I would like to thank uh, our discussant, Ms. Sohini Chattopadhyay, Dr. Simeem Hetha, uh, Dr. Arjun Kumar, thank you, and the IMPRI team, co-organizers, uh, Gendev Center for Research and Innovation and Delhi Post, and to everyone who tuned in here today, uh, on Zoom or on Facebook Live or is watching later on YouTube. Thank you. We hope to see you again in our future episodes of Gender Gaps. Uh, with that, uh, have a good evening. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank you.